Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, I think we have a very timely show lined up here for the day. Lots going on in the world, isn't it? It's a busy place. It's a busy place. So we got some interesting stuff to talk about, and we're going to start off talking about the economy, right? Yeah, is the economy hurting stocks? I don't know if you've noticed recently, but the stock market's been a little bit volatile. It has been just a tiny bit volatile. <clears throat> yeah, so we're going to dive into that a little bit and look at the economy and some of the other things that are going on that are causing this uh, volatility. And then the big question is, is it um, is this short-term or is this going to be a long-term trend? And that is we'll the $64,000 question. So <clears throat> I'm glad you'll be able to answer that. That's great. <laughs> That's right. I've got it. That's great. Yeah. And then we're going to jump into Medicare, John. You know, um, Medicare is one of those programs you don't pay much attention to till you get near retirement. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden you realize, oh, wow, this is really, really important to my retirement to understand where my health care is coming from. And uh, and that's Medicare. So we're going to dive into some facts about Medicare, what you should know about Medicare that you probably don't know, particularly if you're not already over age 65 mm-hmm. and on it. So um, we're going to dig into that. And I think it's very, very important information. Um, but by the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 23 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and I've been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. And we're excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, go check us out on our website. It's moneymd.net. We have the the links to the podcast up there. You uh, can also check out some other videos that we have. We um, we did those a couple months ago. And we also have a Facebook page, um, Steve, that uh, we put a video up every week. And we uh, try to have some fun with it. And um, check us out on our Twitter as well. So we're out there in social media world. Absolutely. You can also reach us by email. We'd love to hear your questions. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net, or you can email us through the website. Link to us right there at moneymd.net. Well, um, John, we got some great week, isn't it? It is. Master's week, golf. Hey, you know, everybody's a golfer, Master's week. And and I've got a little quiz for you. Oh, good, good. Let's see how how well you understand the, you know, facts about the Masters. Okay. So here's the first question. I've got two. Jack Nicholas, 1986. That's right. Jack Nicholas is a good answer, but he didn't. It's not the right answer. Oh, that's not the question. So here's the question is, how many golfers have made a hole-in-one during the Masters? Hole in one during the Masters. Yep. Uh, How many golfers have made a hole in one? It's not three digits. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah, it's it's gonna be. I don't know. Let's say eight. Twenty eight. Twenty eight. I thought you said it's not three digits. Oh, that's two digits. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> Twenty eight. Right. Wow, that's a, a lot. lot. It is, and I've got them listed that here. Is a lot. Pretty <clears throat> pretty interesting. Um, most of them are on hole number sixteen. Okay. What I you thought you were going to ask how many double eagles there been during the Masters. How many that, double eagles have there been? There have been three. Nope. Oh, shoot. Then two, four. 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 Yep, okay. Yep, yep. Last one was Louis Oosthuizen on number two in 2012. Yep, that's right. There you go. Yeah, very See? good, man. I'm impressed. Gene Sarazen was number one. That's right. first one, right? 1935. That's exactly right. There you you go. do know some, some I stats here. I stats on the Masters. Come on, man. So who's going to win? Uh, if, you had, if you had to pick Justin Thomas or Dustin Johnson, those two, or the field, who would you go with? I would pick Dustin Johnson out of those two. No, no, no. If you had both of them, 
Oh, if I had Dustin Johnson and Justin Thomas or the oh, field I'm or giving. the field, um, I would probably pick the field. Okay. I, I don't think I'll, I'll take one of those. I'll take JT and DJ. JT and DJ. I saw the stats here recently and I think they're like a, they're like a 16, <clears throat> maybe a 12 to one okay. odds. Um, Tigers are 12 to one odds. This is he year. really? He is. I think he's a 12 to one. And, uh, but the, the highest is 10 to one. And it was Bubba. There were like three, three or four people. McElroy, probably. Yeah, that were ten to one odds yeah. <clears throat> this year. So uh, great time of the year. It's a it's great so time. Of the year. It's going to be exciting. I mean, yeah. to have Phil, you know, on top of his game right there. To have Tiger and, back in his game. And Phil and Tiger are buddies now. <clears throat> exactly. We saw that, didn't they? They were all, you know, pounded up. Yep. You know, had a bromance going on, as, <laughs> as uh, somebody put it. That's right. That's so, funny. Uh, that is funny. It's an exciting year. I mean, gee whiz, you couldn't stage a better Masters than what we have this year. So, uh, you know, of course, we don't know. By the time you're listening to this, you know a little bit about how it started. We don't yet. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll, it all happens tomorrow. That's so right. We'll be jumping right into it. That's awesome. Well, um, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, the, the headlines lately, is, is we all know, have been tariffs. And um, there's been a little bit of a trade war um, going on, and, and people don't like to say that. But, um, you know, let's put it in perspective a little bit. The, China is definitely um, our largest uh, trading partner. Um, you know, two ways is about $600 billion. But the interesting thing is, I think the reason why Trump is taking a hardline stance on this is, we have a deficit with China of about $350 billion in 2016. And he tweeted this morning talking about another 300,000 in um, piracy of software. 300 billion. 300 billion. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, those are big numbers. Huge numbers. Huge numbers. Yeah. I mean, no doubt that the um, there is just a lot going on with, with tariffs. You know, I mean, we trade actually, uh, we, we buy three times more stuff than they buy from us. Mm-hmm. So they do have a lot more to lose in a trade war than we do. Having said that, it's a painful process for everybody. So let's hope this comes to leads to some positive you know, outcome. positive negotiations. Yeah, because it is kind of painful to see all these ups and downs in the stock market. Having said that, I think it's very temporary, and I, I don't think it has a lasting impact on the stock market. I think, you know, as as you pointed out, I think you pointed out, it's only 0.3% of our GDP. It is. I saw an article on CNBC that said it's a small amount, but, um, you know, it does cause people angst um, when they start seeing these tariffs come up. And see so, yeah, how it plays out. I mean, company earnings are still positive, um, still very, very good. So we'll see. Uh, and we're going to transition right into an article talking about is the economy Hurting the stock market. Exactly. Right? That is the $64,000 question. That's right. And so I'll just dive right in. This comes from uh, Charles Schwab. Um, a gentleman named Jeffrey Kleintop uh, wrote this. And he's talking about the international economic um, diplomacy is evolving in a lot of ways. It really is, is impossible to predict when you start looking at these tariffs. However, the strongest and the broadest global economic growth in more than a decade is driving double-digit earnings growth. And um, that's really been an important factor in driving market behavior over the last year. No doubt. So the question is, is is that economic support now fading? And so if you look in the Eurozone, um, that's the world's second largest economy, it really has delivered some disappointing data recently. And the economic data has gone from coming in better than expected last year to worse than expected in the last couple of months. 
and that's having some uh, some some uh, downward pressure on some of the markets in the international area. And there's some reasons for that. There are five reasons um, that that we're going to kind of talk to, and then we're going to wrap it up at the end. But fortunately, rather than making you know uh, marking the end of an economic cycle, cycle and foreshadowing a, a a bear market for the stocks, the the disappointing data that came in from the eurozone. It's not really weak. Um, in most cases, it it uh, it's maintained its fastest pace of growth since 2011. The problem is it came in below expectations, and some there are some reasons that that they're coming in lower. But um, again, the economy is doing well generally globally, is what we see. But there are some some issues and some bumps. Yeah, and I would even say, you know, it, yes, it came in below expectations for a couple months, but. It's all within the realm of noise mm-hmm. within the data. You know, it's not, these are not trends that have developed yet, but it is, you know, it does make point. you pay attention. It's a data point. And uh, so you want to know what's behind those data points. And, you know, you hope that it's going to trend the other way very quickly and, and get back on and stay on track for, you know, really strong growth. But the weather was one of the factors, John. February was a very unusual uh, weather for Europe, um, it appears to negatively impact their production, impacted their production. Britain saw its coldest weather in 27 years in February. <clears throat> um, so it was, it was drastically cold mm-hmm. in Europe. Even cities as far south as Rome saw the heaviest snowfall in six years and the largest for the end of February in decades. They shut down airports, schools, businesses, so it was a really unusual weather mm-hmm. in February, and, and as we know, you know, we, we see seen, that in the northeast. We see that in the northeast, sure. boy. Whenever you have a, a huge storm come through, it absolutely shuts down commerce, uh, except for grocery stores. Yeah, that's right. Bread, bread manufacturers, that's and right. milk, and so bread forth. Bread, so. milk. That's about it. Yeah. So weather's noise. I I agree, hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's a great way to to couch it. Um, another one here is um, supply chains. Uh, are having a tough time keeping up with the um, the growth spurt. I mean, last year Europe was uh, was booming, and um, there are delays and shortages in both workers and also raw materials. Um, so that's hindering some of the output. And the manufacturing delivery times are near the longest in 18 years, and the input costs have moved up um, sharp sharply. So. You know, it looks like all the it's kind of hard for a business to ramp up. I mean, you want to be lean, but when you have the the growth and the you know the increases in in, in demand, it takes you a while to to get everything in place. So right. that's slowing slowing things down. It's slowing some of the output associated with it. So that's a second reason. The third reason is um, the euro is stronger. So that's the currency over there, sure. and um, so the eurozone economic growth has outpaced the U.S. Uh, over the past year. Helping to lift the euro from just over a dollar five a year ago to about a dollar twenty five in recent months, and so what we see is because the European goods are now more expensive, um, it's having an impact on their competitiveness. So that's how everything kind of balances out. It takes us like a ship turning. That's right. But when their mm-hmm. when their their uh, currency becomes stronger, it's going to make their goods more expensive. But it's going to help U.S. exports. That's right. So it helps our economy. That's right. It, it, and this again, this is noise. This is part of what the markets happen. So don't freak out about all this we're, we're talking about. It is noise. Um, seasonality is another one. It's not unusual. Spring slump has been in place um, over in the Eurozone for four of the past six years. So um, there's quite a few answers and explanations of why Europe is slow. But um, 
you know, you've got some more here. Yeah, right. One they mention here is peaking momentum. They say last year growth in the Eurozone appeared to be at a risk of overheating as demand exceeded capacity. But the recently disappointing weak data after many months of surprisingly strong economic data may signal appear to more stable, solid growth rather than the continuing acceleration in growth. Consequently, the risk of a, an aggressive withdrawal of support by the European Central Bank may be reduced, and mm -hmm. that's a good thing. So maybe it's going to be more stable and just going to be strong going forward. Yeah, so bottom line here, Steve, is you know most of these five reasons for the weaker than expected economic data are, are temporary um, and uh, suggest a rebound maybe in months ahead when the weather's better and the supply chain gets caught up and so forth. Um, while some others point to more stable growth, like you're just meaning, uh, just talking about, um, instead of having the overheating. So none of this really signals an end to the growth. It just, um, may be kind of like leveling out. So Schwab's basically saying they don't see a bear market and no one can predict that. Right. Right. Um, but this does appear to be noise and China is a factor as well. I mean, th there has been weakness in, in the Eurozone. But China had a surprise. Um, their index soared from zero up to 93. I don't know exactly what that's based on, but China had some positive numbers. Yeah, I mean, uh, emerging markets has been soaring uh, re of recent, and China's a big part of that. So rather than signaling a sharp acceleration in China's growth, this jump is largely attributable to the the this calendar year shift in lunar New Year holidays. Oh, yeah, saying. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, what a <laughs> strange explanation they're giving here. Yeah, economists, they expected a one-week holiday, which fell in February this year, but it straddled January and February last year. Um, so they expected it to sharply drag down export growth in February. Interestingly, though, the export growth for February reflected only a slight deceleration from January's pace. So that surprised economists when the data was released on March 7th. So that's their explanation for, you know, China having a, a higher mm -hmm. index. I, I don't know. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, bottom line is the, the trend for solid growth um, seems to be intact. Um, you know, the, the earnings, when you look at them for the global companies, they're, they're on the rise. Wall Street analysts, they've been raising their earnings forecast. Uh, we'll obviously continue to watch the data as it comes in. Um, some of these tariff um, discussions that are being going on between China and, and the U.S. is causing more volatility. But you know, focus on your on your long term. These are these are short term blips. There's always been these blips in the market. Um, it is part of investing in the market. And as long as you have a process and a plan, you can get through these difficult times. Yeah, and when I look at the stock market, I mean, we had a great year last year. It's not unusual for us to have a few cool months in terms of performance following a year like last year. So I don't think it's unusual at all that things have kind of calmed, not calmed down at all, but they have, they've cooled down in terms of performance. And uh, so there's, it doesn't take much to create volatility when the markets have had a great year. And I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, you know, this, this too will pass mm -hmm. and we'll see what's behind it. But uh you know, I'm optimistic for the remainder of the year, quite frankly, just because earnings have been so strong. Yeah, I agree. So, all right. And that leads us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with um, kind of tying your finances together. Um, this uh, couple was newly married. Uh, they both had, these were second marriages, and they were trying to blend their finances for two families. And, and basically the question was, is any suggestions? And 
But this is tough. Um, both, yeah, sure. both parties have different, um, uh, experiences, different education on finances. And, and, uh, sometimes I see people are, are not as trusting on the second marriage. And, right. and so I think having, yeah. you know, having, you know, very frank discussions and laying everything on the table is a great way to start and just kind of, you know, it's not something you're trying to hide, but figure out what's going to work best for your family. Yeah, I think you have to talk through all the details. I mean, that's the important thing is to have great communication, to really talk through the details, talk through all the issues. Um, but, you know, if at all possible, you want to treat, I think, the new family as one family. Yeah, and all the, combining it. Combining property as much as you can, you know, considering it joint property. I mean, that just works better in a marriage, I think, because then you have – you know, there's trust. Everybody, yeah. everything's on the table and, you know, you're all in. Yep. Yep. You're not a toe in the water yep. in this new marriage. And there are ways that you can use beneficiaries to, to give you some, um, some, some coverage for your kids and so forth. But sure. Definitely talking. I know we, we, I have conversations with my clients. I'm sure you do as well about, um, recommendations in that area, but just talking about it is going to be step number one. That is having a great in-depth conversation. So that's a good question. All right, and that leads up to our next topic here, and that is Medicare. Um, very important program, John. And so these are the 12 facts that you should know about Medicare out of U.S. News & World Report, recent article by Emily Brandon. And uh, you know, though, I mean, Medicare is one of those programs, John, that most people don't pay a lot of attention to, <clears throat> and I didn't either, you know, until I got in this business and realized how important it was. Um, but when you're younger, people tend to ignore it. And then when you hit your late fifties, you kind of start thinking about retirement. I see a lot of people doing that. And then, uh, what they didn't realize is that Medicare is a very important piece of that puzzle. And in fact, you know, most companies no longer cover health insurance in retirement and they expect you to go on Medicare after age 65 and that to be your primary and pretty much your only coverage. Um, but the problem is, it's not free and it doesn't cover as much as it used to. <clears throat> so you might end up having to buy a Medigap policy to fill in some of the holes when that time comes. You know, today Medicare is very important piece of re the retirement picture. And many people can't even consider retirement until age 65 due to the lack of health insurance. So, you know, but Medicare used to be more of an optional program as many people were covered by private insurance from their employers throughout retirement, but those days are over. I mean, Medicare is pretty much mandatory for everyone and has to be incorporated into your medical coverage plan after you retire. You know, it pays for much of the cost of hospital stays, doctor visits for beneficiaries. They're eligible for, <clears throat> for Medicare. Um, you know, and this is a government program, as we all know, uh, but it's recently added some preventive care services to its, its services as well. Um, so we're going to talk about some of the basics, though, and some of the details of this. Uh, but we're first going to jump into who is covered by Medicare. Yeah, and Medicare is available to uh, U.S. citizens, um, have to be legal residents who have lived in the United States for at least five years in a row. Um, Medicare is individual insurance. It doesn't cover spouses or dependents. Um, you may be eligible to receive the Medicare benefits based on one of the following situations. So number one is you have to be 65 um, and uh, your spouse's age doesn't count because this is individual insurance. However, if you're under 65 and have a qualifying disability, then 
Um, Medicare eligibility begins after 24 months after receiving Social Security disability. So, you know, 65 is the the trigger uh, for most people, but if you do have a disability, then it can key in about two years later. Right, as long as you get in Social Security disability. Right. Yeah, that's right. So 65 is the key. Um, So the question is, what is covered? So we're going to dig into some of the details of what's covered and what's not. You know, first, there is hospital coverage that's covered by Medicare Part A. That's the standard hospital coverage that you get. You know, when you go to a hospital, it covers pretty much everything um, at some level. Um, We'll talk about deductibles here in a minute. But then there's Medicare Part B, which is the medical insurance that covers doctor visits and outpatient services. So, you know, there's those two parts, Part A, Part B, that's the original Medicare and that covers doctors and hospital. Um, but then there are some optional plans like Medicare Advantage plans. That's an alternative that you can get a more comprehensive Medicare coverage that's offered by private insurance companies. Um, typically, it has different premiums and restrictions than, than regular Medicare. Um, not as attractive as it used to be because they took some of the, the Medicare Advantage plan coverage whenever they whenever they, whenever they put in Obamacare mm-hmm. by the way so if you recall that um, so that's what's covered though under standard Medicare part A part B which covers hospital and doctors so what's not covered by Medicare there's more than most people think I mean there are a lot of things that you might think intuitively that are covered by Medicare that are not so they're surprised to hear that I mean for instance prescription drugs are not covered under standard Medicare now, there is prescription drug coverage now. If you remember under Bush's administration, they passed Medicare Part D, which is a prescription drug plan, um, but it's not part of the original plan, and, uh, you know, you have to buy into that. We'll talk more a little bit more about that in a second. But here are some of the other services that are not covered by the original Medicare. First, there's dental exams. Uh, most dental care and dentures are not covered by Medicare. Routine eye exams, eyeglasses, contacts, hearing aids, related exams or services. Most care while you're outside the United States, you cannot get Medicare coverage for that. Help with bathing, dressing, eating, or custodial care. That's kind of part of the long-term care solution for folks. That is not covered by Medicare. Um, In fact, long-term care other than the first 100 days under certain circumstances is not covered by Medicare. <clears throat> um, comfort items such as a hospital phone, TV, private room. You know, Medicare is very limiting in terms of what kind of what kind of uh, accommodations you can get when you're in the hospital. And then there's cosmetic surgery, chiropractic services. Those are not covered by Medicare. There's acupuncture, alternative treatments, routine foot care. All of those things are not covered by Medicare, so you have to have some other kind of coverage or you have to be will be able to pay those out of pocket. Um, you may <clears throat> have to pay for those services yourself unless you have some other type of insurance. Some Medicare Part Advantage Part C plans uh, do cover a little bit of those things. So, um, so there might be some options there, but in general... There's a lot of things that aren't covered by Medicare. Yeah, you got to be careful. And there's also, Steve, there's a confusion about the difference between Medicare and Medicaid. I mean, the words are, are so so much alike, it's easy to get them confused. Both of them are government programs, and they help people pay for their health care. But that's really where the similarities end. So Medicare mm-hmm. is generally for people who are older, 
or disabled, and Medicaid is a joint federal and state program that helps to pay for health care costs for certain people or families that have limited income and resources. So different programs under Medicaid umbrella are designed to help um, specific populations. So Medicaid, you basically have to have no money that's before right. you can get that. Indigent um, care, that's, that's right. right. <clears throat> and so Medicare really keys in at 65. That's right. Two totally different programs. So how much are you paying in? Um, well, employees and employers each pay 1.45% of workers' wages into the Medicare system. So you see that that Medicare come out of your paycheck is the 1.45%, and then your employer pays another 1.45%. If you're self-employed, you have to pay that entire 2.9% yourself um, into Medicare, and it just becomes part of your taxes when you file your tax return. Um, people who earn more than 200000 as individuals or 250000 for as a couple, they're going to pay an extra 0.9% tax on Medicare for Medicare, and by the way, there's no cap for that. It goes up to infinity, no matter how much you make. Um, so that's how much you pay for Medicare for the program in general. So what about the deadlines? First, you sign up for Medicare during the first seven-month window, and that includes the three months before you reach age 65. Um, your birthday month and three months after you turn age 65. So there's seven months around your 65th birthday that you need to sign up for Medicare. You need to make sure you do that because if you fail to sign up during that initial enrollment period, you could be charged a late penalty. And that penalty, by the way, lasts forever, John. It never goes away. Ouch. So you don't want to miss that window. Make sure you have that on your calendar. Because you'll pay for that for the rest of your life. Um, so if you delay Medicare enrollment due to group health insurance through your current job, you can do that and you can sign up for Medicare within eight months after leaving your job or coverage, um, ending to avoid the penalty, but you want to be very careful there. Again, if you get that penalty, it's going to last forever. Yeah. And so the cost of it, uh, just kind of summarize this Medicare part A, most people don't pay a premium. For Medicare Part B, it's about one hundred and thirty-four dollars uh, per month in twenty eighteen, but it's based on your income. So, um, you know, some some people will pay a little bit higher, some people will pay a little bit less. There are um, the premiums are basically taken out of your Social Security benefits um, once you're enrolled in both programs, and premium costs are also higher for retirees with a modified adjusted uh, gross income above eighty-five thousand for individuals and one hundred and seventy for couples. So that it is based on income in some cases. Yeah, it can be about three times that amount. If you make a lot of money in retirement, uh, then you might pay three times that $134 a month premium. So you start having to pay a real premium. If, um, you know, the $134 is a great deal, by the way, mm-hmm. Medicare is a great deal for you. So I know some people complain about the $134. I hear it. I'm sure you do too. But, uh, you know, and it comes right out of your social security, but that's, that's a pretty small premium, so, but it could be a lot more. And then what are the out-of-pocket costs? Um, well, once you're on Medicare, uh, there's a small $183 Medicare Part B deductible for this year, um, and after which you'll be charged 20% of the Medicare-approved amount for most services. So that's not bad coverage. Very small deductible. There's no annual limit of out-of-pocket costs, so you'll pay that 20% all the way up the, all the, way up the chain of uh, cost, um, so there's no out-of-pocket maximum like there is on private insurance. And for each benefit period, 
Medicare Part A has a $1,340 deductible if you're hospitalized um, and additional cost apply if your stay exceeds 60 days. So for hospital, it's $1,340 deductible, $183 for the, for the uh, doctor part of it. Um, you know, covered services, there's Medicare uh, that provides preventive services without any cost-sharing requirements, like including flu shots. Beneficiary is also eligible for a wellness visit with the doctor, no cost each year. Um, you know, but the test that they perform, the lab test, could have some additional charges. Yeah, when you start looking at the, the cost for the, the drug coverage, Steve, there's like 23 uh, Medicare Part D prescription drug, drug plans. They have different covered medications, premiums, and co-pays. So it's a good idea to shop around. Um, we, we do know some people locally that uh, provide that. So if you have questions on it, you can certainly reach out to us. Um, but that can be an expensive piece as well. Yeah, that's right. And there is an open enrollment for that between October 15th and December 7th each year for Part D. So you want to pay attention to that whenever you need to change it each year. Um, and, you know, bottom line is, you know, Medicare is a great plan. You may need to buy a supplement to go with that uh, because, you know, it, it does have deductibles and certain things that aren't covered by Medicare. So there are a lot of Medigap plans that are offered by private insurance companies. So check into those. It's, it's plan A all the way through plan F for Medigap pl- coverage. And those usually cost maybe two hundred to two hundred fifty dollars a month for the average person, John. So those aren't those aren't cheap either. But uh, you may want to consider that if you're getting ready to go on Medicare. All right, and that leads us up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. Yeah, this prescription is to automate everything, um, but don't forget about it. So when we talk about yep. automating. Your, your 401k contributions are automated. Um, if you think about it, Social Security is automated. You don't have a choice in it, but it comes out automatically. And so do your other savings automatically. Have it pulled out that you're going to your Roth IRA if you're contributing there. And, and you won't miss it. Um, there's a gentleman named David Bach who, who wrote uh, a book uh, called The Automatic Millionaire. And that basically is turning on these uh, automatic payments to yourself You know, every month for the rest of your life. And that's how you build wealth. Yeah. I mean, that's your savings. You want to make all that automatic. I call it making success your default. Mm-hmm. Defaulting like for yep. success. That's what you want to do. And you have everything automatic. I mean, having automatic increases in your 401k contribution each year. I love that. I mean, so if you have that option, you need to go for it. Yep. I agree. Um, so that's a great prescription of the week. Okay, well, this has been this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 